Welcome to Mum Guilds, the place where my mum somehow managed to squeeze in yet another chat with Maria Tata. But hold on, before you kick things off, can I get a snack, please? Just FYI, they're not doctors, nutritionists, nor qualified life coaches. They're just mums, so make sure you consult your doctor or do your own research. Hi, girls. Hi, Mar. Hi. Are you enjoying your scones? Mar, would you like some scones? <laughs> Thanks for my invite, guys. Thanks for my uh, invitation. I would have loved to be there, but enjoy. I hope it's nice. I would have invited you, except you decided to move countries. So... <laughs> Plus, scones are only for special guests and today we have a very special guest with us who is a classroom teacher for over a decade. Woohoo! We have so much to ask you. And an assistant principal. How long have you been doing that for? Assistant principal, four years, five years. That's amazing. Well, hello. Hello, anonymous teacher. So glad that you've joined us. I already feel like I'm at home part of the team thanks for starting it is at home you are at home. what can we call you so you're our anonymous <laughs> teacher guest today what can we call you yeah i mean we don't want to be too anonymous we want you know we want it all to be legible so maybe um miss b will do to quite anonymous <laughs> i don't think anyone will know miss b it is while you guys are having your coffee wait where's your bubble tea mud it's too early i'm not stressed yet <laughs> maybe later in the day or maybe by the end of this episode <laughs> Anyway, while you while while Miss B uh, is having her scones, I want to tell you guys a story that happened with me back in the holidays, school holidays. So I took my kids to the state library. It was amazing. The first time for me and first time for the kids. And my cousin uh, Garcia was with us as well. Huge building. I mean, it took us like 10 minutes to walk from one side to another beautiful gallery in between um it was so beautiful the kids really enjoyed it we got to this kid section and it was a fairly big room so i told the girls go and pick a book whatever you like we're here for a few hours you know i'm just trying to get some relaxing time and um so quiet so peaceful in there uh so you know as my girls do, they're just so confused about what to read. Um, they're like, oh, mom, should I read this? Should I? I'm like, just pick something. Like, why do they get so, they, they're confused. They're like, get overwhelmed when they're in a library. They don't know where to start from. Mine are so decisive. They go pick 10 books and they're like, here you go, mom, let's read. I'm like, okay, you could have taken more time, giving me a chance to just relax. Of course, from one extreme to another. Anyway, back to my story. I was saying that I was sitting in a baby's toddler section in the library um, with my one-year-old uh, and uh, my cousin Garcia came over and she said uh, I think Lara is reading how to make babies book and then I looked at her and I was like uh, okay well obviously it's appropriate for kids so it should be okay like whatever like we're in a kid's um, a kid's library five minutes later it hit me what my cousin said and what she was concerned about and what my daughter could be actually reading. So I quickly turned around. My daughter was like on the other side. By the way, this is my nine-year-old, Lara, uh, the other side of the room. So I quickly called her over and said, Lara, show me what you're reading. Very gently, 
very calmly and then I grabbed the book off her hand and I quickly changed the subject by telling her uh there's like a little space section there maybe you should go have a look at it those books over there so she happily went to the other side of the library um I couldn't even read properly but I quickly flipped through the pages and I had an heart attack from all the illustrations and how exposed it was I couldn't read the book comfortably so I quickly took photos of some of the pages just to see exactly what was written in there and um, I sent it to Maria straight away because I was like what is this anyway and uh, I hid the book behind another book so we don't find it again while we're there let me give you a bit of a summary the book is called the amazing true story of how babies are made by Fiona Katowskis and she's actually an illustrator and a cartoonist well that makes sense now I feel like she drew yeah, first well, and then she thought about the wording <laughs> yes so I checked and it is written for kids aged five to ten to summarize it has sections about the fact that babies are made by us all including animals the differences between boys and girls you know boys boys have a let's call it a p and girls have a, let's call it a V. <laughs> That's a good one, Mud. A P and a V. That's good. And then obviously drawings of P's and V's. <laughs> um, it talks about productive organs, how we become an adult, what happens during puberty, how boys become fertile. It talks about the menstrual cycle, ovulation, etc. Talks about fertilization. Uh, different types of egg joining, etc. IVF. It also mentions IVF. So too much parts... information. Why would a kid need to know yeah, about well, IVF? Well, it talks about baby feeding, cutting the cord, uh, how babies grow, etc. But the the part that kind of <laughs> I was really shocked about was the they also the, the book also illustrates and writes about sexual intercourse <laughs> and um. I mean, I don't even want to read it out loud. I feel really uncomfortable reading it. Um, <laughs> it talks about how a Let man... Let me help you out, Mart. I think you need some help. <laughs> yes, please go ahead. <laughs> You're the one who, who read it first. So it's about uh, how they do the intercourse, uh, how each person actually feels while they're doing it, <laughs> the, the feeling they reach. And then how they fit together. Like a puzzle. And then this is what we call having uh, sex or making love. I'm just saying, I, I for one don't see a problem with any of the things you've been saying as yet. Because it's the truth though. Did I mention it was it was uh, for five-year-olds? Five to ten for this particular book. For f- um, five to ten. I have a five-and-a-half-year-old. I'm going to read this for a bedtime story anytime. And- <laughs> <laughs> definitely not, not. Definitely not reading this for a bedtime story. <laughs> Anytime soon. That's the other thing. You've got to think about what was this author's intention? What was her purpose? It's to inform children about these types of... But why would... would Or how their body works, really. Yeah. How our bodies are made. Why things happen. Why your body reacts to certain things in certain ways. And, yes, it's five to ten-year-old, but is the intention that 
uh, the kid just picks it up and reads it to himself or is the intention of the mum and dad or mum, whoever yeah, other yeah. adult sits down well, with the child? You why? just happen to have found it in the library. library. I was going to say, why and, was it in there? And is that a bad thing? It's giving access to people who may not be afford, able to afford, afford it. it. Well, there's another book that they've actually pulled down from Big W shelves similar to this. Yes, I know about this one too. The, the book is actually called Welcome to Sex by Dr... Dr. Melissa Kang and Yumi Steins. That one is made, written for uh, kids aged 10 to 15. It was being sold at Big W and apparently because of the outrage at staff by families, it was removed from the shelves, but it's still available to purchase online. At least this book is actually 10 and above. Well, that's the thing, right? The first book was 5 to 10. And when it comes to sex talk, age appropriateness obviously is a concern for a lot of parents. The question is, I'll ask this to Miss B. What, in your opinion, like what age groups do you think these books are most suitable for, considering all the all these illustrations as well? And at what age do teachers actually start incorporating sex education in the curriculum at schools? There's some things that I'm going to comment on that are my opinion, just through experience of you know the different schools I've worked in, the different kids and families I've come across. Like, um, and you know, you hear different stories as well, but. I guess in terms of books and appropriateness, you know, Harry Potter isn't aimed for five-year-olds, but like that book is still on the shelves at Big W mm, that any I... five-year-old can pick up and read and, you know, have nightmares for. And But age appropriateness is, I guess, a touchy one. But like I said, as long as the parents are supervising and in a safe environment, I think that book would be okay because there are five-year-olds who can read at the level of, say, Harry Potter. So there would be a five-year-old at the maturity level. That's very rare though. Yeah, but again, it's rare that a five-year-old is going to pick this book up. Your nine-year-old was just, you know, doesn't surprise me that she is the one who found that book. And, you know, pictures tell a thousand words. Exactly. You don't necessarily need to be able to read. That's very true. And in terms of in the curriculum, um, I guess there's a whole PD, personal development and health unit called child protection. And um, obviously you do need parent consent. So we send out, a permission or an opt-out form starting from kindergarten all the way up we teach them about not necessarily sex education but it's more about learning about your body and how to keep it safe so that that's where that protection part comes in how do you guys like show this stuff to them like how do you do you, like do you use books as well yeah so don't get me wrong I mean we have it's a very serious topic but again it's it's uncomfortable conversations that you know as a teacher you have to have with children but that idea of hopefully this is going to keep them safe one day you don't know when it could be when they're a child it could be when they're an adult that just kind of you know balances out but I guess in kindergarten you start off with and I haven't talked to me for a while but basically you start off by naming the body parts and that that's consecutively across k to six or even throughout high school you teach them the um, technical terms of the body parts labeling them on a cut like a pencil drawing and again you know the theory behind that is that god forbid if anything were happen were to happen to a child they can um, go to a doctor or if you need to go to the police or whatever they can name the specific body part that was touched and you know because sometimes I think in court cases perverts kind of get away with things because the, a certain, the right words weren't used yeah, so they, can't, they don't know how to describe yeah. themselves and again like happened. you know it does get serious but we tell the kids like we, we're not doing this to um, scare you or to freak you out 
you know, it's, it's highly unlikely, but just in case there are bad people out there, we want to make sure you're able to protect yourself. Um, so in kindergarten, they we also like an activities where you pass a teddy bear around and talk about where someone can touch your body and then the conversation or the lesson may lead to looking at the factors. So doctors are okay, obviously your parents and what's the purpose of the touching. So it's based around that. We don't necessarily go into the sexual um, intercourse side of things, not until I'd say high school would be really that part. As they get older. That's what I thought. Yeah. But as you get older, like year four, year five, year six, because their bodies are changing and, you know, puberty starts, which I think one of the books you mentioned refers to it. Kids nowadays, you hear at the age of eight, they're starting to get their period. So you want them to be prepared and you know, you're saying, why do they need to learn about sex? But if you have your period and you have sex, your body is going to potentially make a baby. So you want them to understand if someone is, again, having sex with them without their consent in that case, most likely, they need to know if their body is reacting a certain way, right, this is what I read, what should I do? And it's really important that they be able to use the right terms. Why look at me like that? Why, why am I looking at you like this? It's because I don't think I needed this much information when I was growing up. I ended up being fine just knowing whatever I knew back then. Why is it different now? It's just frustrating. Let me gather my thoughts. Like to me, what you said, I agree with like a five-year-old. I'm, I'm focusing at five-year-olds to five to even five to eight, five to 10. They're not at the sexual maturity or at puberty. Mm. The excuse of they need to know I feel like, don't you think that's for minority? And are we bringing a minority issue and kind of teaching the majority that they may not need to know? And if, if we look at like other examples, for example, if you think that there's drug issues, do you think kids should be taught about drugs at that age? Because um, I think drugs are taught to high schoolers, right? No. Do you think that should be brought forward? No, we do think no? it. Are they actually in taught? primary at what Just age? the other day, I was giving a lesson about if you find a needle, you do not touch it and you go to a parent and or an adult. What age? Nine to 10 year olds. But do you teach them what they can do with that needle? Just like this book is telling what they can do with their bodies. I have no issues with my kids, uh, kids at that age, knowing and learning about body mm. parts. What the mind doesn't know, the eyes don't see. Like, I really believe yeah. in that. If if you're going to teach something to, to a child, they're going to be inquisitive about it. They're going to want to know yeah. about it. At this age, I'm ha- I'm I'm just starting to teach my kids about bullying. They, they can't even, they're not at an age that they need yeah. to know. Um, I guess, I, yeah, I totally understand, especially because, you know, you guys are dealing. And if you look at your different situations as well, like Maria, you're in Singapore, you know, different nationalities, mix of expats, et cetera. Whereas some of your kids are going to a smaller school in Sydney, like yours, you know, they're going to have totally different experiences being regarding sex, sex education, drug, drug, any of those things. Strangers, like your kids might are more likely to see strangers because you take I'm assuming the train to school and things like that. So the idea that, you know, yes, it is a minority chance, but again, just like it's just about getting them prepared because with, you know, online, with getting them to catch buses and things, you want them to be prepared. That's the whole idea. It's not about, oh, okay, drugs get you high, let's go take drugs. You teach them. It's about giving, empowering them to make those choices. You don't just say, Oh yeah, if you see a drug, people take it because they get um, a high from it. You also, we also teach them the negative sides of all that. Like it, you know, where even in that lesson, we went on to talking about 
drugs don't just affect the person taking it, it affects their family. So if there are adults who consume alcohol and they get really drunk every night, okay, they're going to come home, they might lose their job, that affects their families or they might get abusive. So what should you do? Like, it's just, it's not just the positive of, yep, there's a drug there because people get high. Kids do ask that. Like there was a lot of conversation about vaping you know, whereas five years ago, there were no vapes. So that would never came out. Now it comes up. And I'd say majority of kids are disgusted by it anyway, just naturally, even if they do know someone who smokes. So it's not about them being or teaching them something that just relates to a minority, because I guess everything really relates to a minority. Like you teach them about in Australia, we teach them about Aboriginal education and Aboriginal people are a minority, but it's part of our history. This is going to be part of their future. You know, like drugs are going to be part of their future. Well, me and I were doing some research about these to find answers just to understand why was it okay at our time that our parents never had a chat with us about these um, conversations. And I think we just came to a conclusion that it's the internet I mean, we never had access to anything if uh, our parents didn't tell us. It was very rare that someone else would. Yeah, 100%. Didn't, Flora didn't find that book. I mean, she would have found a video on YouTube or something would have popped up or a friend would have texted her or something. But also, you know, you think back to our time, majority of our parents or our mums were still staying stay-at-home mums, yeah. you know, like whereas now people work, blah, 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 blah. So, that. Yeah. you know, I think we need to prepare them as much as possible, really. Well, yeah, some argue that these topics are best discussed with the family and the supporters of these books are saying that they are aimed at helping the parent to tackle these Mm. uncomfortable Mm -hmm. questions or whatever. And my question was going to be, what's your perspective on parents taking the lead in educating their children about sex and relationships and then schools can complement this effort. But you did mention that you you asked for consent from parents before you start educating. Um, Or should it be the other way? other way around where and I feel like some parents do that where they don't want to have to deal with it they want the teachers and the schools have to deal with it rather than they feel uncomfortable discussing these topics with the families but in my opinion if the school teaches this um, they're kind of robbing the families of their choice to either be conservative or liberal like the choice has should be with the families because if the kid is being taught something at school as being normal at that age then the families will have a very hard time to teach that kid what they, they about their values, whether it's whether that value is based on religion or whatever. That won't really work because if the friends find out about it, then they're all going to talk about it and that's how your child's going to know. I think that, that could be worse. Yeah, like I understand we want kids to have that choice, but you're taking that choice away. You're taking that position where they're going to, I guess, take the parents' um, expectation or they're going to follow the parents' lead once you set them out into school. Once they start going out with their friends, you're giving them more of a choice. And yes, you want them to, you know, grow up with your family values. But then if we, if teachers or the school is teaching them certain things, at least you're exposing them to more choice. And you don't, like in those education and the whole idea. Do you want to expose kids to every choice that's out there though? Or do you want to protect some kids? See, this is where it comes in. What's really protecting them, hiding them from, like shielding them from these situations or preparing them? You are going to come across these things. Well, I was raised protected. And I I didn't lose anything from it. If I was uh, raised given so many options, you know, a lot of choices out there, I'm not sure. And and I was the same. We were quite, you know, in our little bubble. But, you know, we now have to face the shock value of things. Like I have friends who haven't grown up in a small community, gone to the same school with the same people from K to 12. And I guess, yeah, you still get affected emotionally, mentally, but 
that shock value of, oh, you know, oh, he had, they had alcohol at the party. Like that's not too shocking. But for us, I remember like our our parents never used to warn us, don't drink when you go to a 16th because they knew the parents and they knew that there wouldn't be alcohol. Whereas now, you know, there's more access to these things. Again, alcohol at what age? Like there is a reason why you can't get Mm. married until a certain age. There's a reason why you can't be given an alcohol at a certain age. There should be. And look, um, there are ages for having sex as well. Like there's age limits to that. And that's why it's a crime and, you know, all those things. So you want to prepare. And when you're Mm. teaching kids, these these things come up. Again, like I said, I can't speak to that because we don't cover the sexual intercourse side of things. It's more about. Just That's reinforcing it, yeah. that if you are in a situation where you are uncomfortable and someone is touching you the wrong way, even for example, when we have the period talk with girls, you know, talking about pads and I'd say a quarter, maybe a fifth of the girls have no idea. And, you know, you get questions like what's a pad, what's a tampon and, you know, yeah. where's that? Are you taking away that social side of things as well? Like, whereas, you know, half my class knew what pads was, I didn't. And so that question, I'm going to come back to where you said, should the parents or the school's I think it's more about complementing each other. And, you know, there's a lot of great external programs out there where um, they run sessions for parents and children about puberty and all that stuff. So, and it's, that's the important part. I think parents need to know we're a team, like your school is there for your child just as much as you are. Uh, you know, we think about it again with working parents these days, we often see their kids more than they do what they come home, have dinner. And yes, you know, what did you learn today? You know, to me, comes down to like where do you where do you put the limit how far do you teach them it's you know I feel it's too much these books are way too much information for kids at that age I really don't think they need to know I still I'm quite firm on that some of the arguments was that you know kids that don't have these kind of resources they'll go to porn (laughs) but when I read both of these books to me it's it's basically it's illustrated porn. It was. I was feeling so uncomfortable reading it. So uncomfortable. Extremely uncomfortable. And I guess again, the idea is, you know, kids often watch or read porn in privacy, or sorry, even adults. But the idea behind these books is that you're sitting down, you're in control of that environment, you're going through it. So you know, I guess the big question is, what what you brought up before? Do the should the school teach it? Or should the parents go through it? I think the school should have a bit more to say about it and then the parents can no, do the I think, it up. I think parents should have the lead and then schools should complement. Hypothetically, if it were to happen to them, you want your kid to feel as safe as possible to come and ask you any question, sex, drugs, whatever it may be. I'm talking about the scientific details of it. Like the school should cover all of that, a little bit more of it. And then when they come home, then we can give our opinion about it. And then we can explain to them what we believe in. I mean, in my case, it will be religious, religion and what relates to that, how it relates to it. And yeah, it's as simple as that. And in that way, it will be much easier to talk about it. Let's move on from sex education. Let's talk about something else. <laughs> yes, we definitely covered everything. So let's just move on. I think Miss B answered all our questions, especially yours, Maria. And again, no right or wrong no, in terms of sex wrong. education, child protection, drug education. No, but No, we just wanted to ask your opinion as a teacher and how you educate and what you guys do at school. I have a fun conversation. Let's talk about homework. It doesn't really apply to my kids as much, but Sarin, 
do we do we have to of course we do i mean why shouldn't we talk about homework that's probably the only thing i discuss with you when i see you or you come over to our place um but i want to ask you a question about why is homework compulsory in private schools and not as much in the public schools i i, I asked our principal once about homework in general and he said well we want them the discipline, the discipline is really important that when they go to high school, they're not in a shock of, you know, the assignments that they get because it's a huge difference between the primary and high school. And I do, I agree, I agree with that. And because of that, I even throughout school holidays, I still um, ask my girls to do some sort of um, homework, anything that gets them reading or writing every single day, just like we do during the week, during school time. Um, so you tell me, what do you think about this? What is your opinion about it as a teacher? Um, yeah, so I agree with what your principal said. It's more about practicing. The it's Homework is very controversial, especially in primary schools, because at the end of the day, we don't, the majority of the learning should be done at school, right? We're there, we, we're together. We look at them working in different environments. No new information it's, um, you know, reflecting on what they've learned a week or two beforehand and practicing a skill that they've learned as well. But again, like we know that kids today, they're doing a lot, not every child, but they're doing a lot of extracurricular mm-hmm. activities, you know, whether it be Taekwondo, swimming lessons, that's a lot of time. You know, you want kids to play as well. Doesn't matter how much homework we give. Someone's going to say it's too much. Someone's going to say it's too little. Um, Some kids are going to be able to do it independently. Some kids are going to need the parents right next to them. Um, So so there are schools that try and, you know, differentiate homework, making it for mixed levels. But again, that's a lot of admin for teachers. Doesn't matter how much we give or how much homework we give. There's always that complaint from when they come back. Um, after their first couple of weeks in high school saying oh they're drowning in the homework or you know just catching us up on how the kids going in high school because it is going to be different I know this is a bit uh, this is a big question but what do you think about nap plan and how much pressure the schools uh, put on the kids <laughs> learning it and also probably there's more homework because of it so nap plan are you know a very controversial issue Sadin. so you know the name itself is national assessment program literacy and numeracy so wow you know the whole country students in year three five seven and nine across the whole country are being assessed on their literacy and numeracy skills now the idea isn't to pick on kids individual or like school specifically but it's mainly about what is Australia's education like? And they compare the states in our schools. We look at how we're doing with similar schools. So when they release the data, um, you don't necessarily see kids' names, but you see, okay, our school is on par with a school, say, in the Northern Beaches or in the West. Or And you look at, okay, what do these schools have in common? And the idea of it is to make sure the other schools are catching up where um, our school's you know, extending kids who are working above their grade level. In recently this year, the, the the information they released to parents is different as well. Um, it's not in bands anymore. The lower end kids who aren't um, very successful in some areas, it says need support. So, you know, that's the things we're looking for. And it's not about making kids or parents feel bad. It's about what can we do to help them out? I know that's not their intention, but 
I mean, we can't help it, but I can't help it, but to feel guilty. And it is my responsibility if my child is not doing well. If you want your child to succeed, you need to do extra work at home. Yeah. I mean, again, like extra work doesn't have to be school. sit down and study. Extra work can be let's read a newspaper together and discussing, oh, what does that word mean? I don't know. Let's get a dictionary, look it up. It doesn't have to be sit down, let's do NAPLAN. The idea of practicing for NAPLAN beforehand is just that test conditions. Because, yeah. you know, the kids in... Queensland aren't necessarily learning the same way kids in New South Wales do. So this NAPLAN is just a snapshot. It's one test on one day. Lara could be could have the biggest headache she's ever had on that day and she might underperform. So we don't just focus on that one test in schools. You look at their whole academic. Speaking of extra support you mentioned before, do you think tutoring is essential for the success of a child academically? Originally, tutoring existed to help those kids who need that little bit of extra help or who might not be able to focus as much on in class. But now, you know, you've got those bigger organizations who um, I don't want to say they make a lot of money from tutoring, but they do. But, and it's more about excelling those. And it's not the kids, it's not little Johnny who, you know, scored a one out of five. It's the kids who are getting five out of five. And, you know, the intention is to keep getting higher and higher marks. So, I'm going to say, in my opinion, I don't think it's essential for everyone. Um, There are some kids who might, you know, uh, benefit from that support. But if your child is already excelling, do they really need that? They might, if they're going to tutoring a couple of hours a week, they could benefit from social or, you know, sport instead. So it just depends on the family. Yeah, that's a good point. Actually, we were talking with Sarin about this, how Kids also need to understand that tutoring is not just because you're not Mm. doing well at school because they see other kids who do tutoring or if you tell a child that you need tutoring, they might feel Mm. bad. They might feel like, oh, why? Because I'm not good enough now. I have I need extra help. How do you explain a child without making them feel bad? of why they might, you know, why you might want so to you, as a teacher, tutoring. Um, we never recommend kids going to tutoring. That's our job. So, you know, I my job is to sit with that child. You know, if there's a child who scored low in that reading assessment, for example, I change my programming so that I can read with him, even if it's five minutes a day, just a quick read every day, because often it's those little things. Well, you know, we teach kids to read in their heads. So, you know, recent studies have shown that they're losing their fluency, reading out loud and reading smoothly. So that's something that we took from that plan and now we're changing it up as well. So um, it just depends on the kid. The teacher helps out. Do all teachers care as much, Miss B? Yeah, I'd like to think all teachers care. Um, I think in recent years, four in five maybe care more than that one who, you know, may be in it just for the holidays. Oh. Oh, that's right. Um, don't don't want to. It's again. That's no, a generalization. No, no, are you not in it for the holidays? <laughs> um, look, I just want to point out how expensive it is to go anywhere during the holidays. Like, if you want to go on over, you know, otherwise you've got to take unpaid leave. Yes, we're lucky. We have lots of holidays. Not complaining, but often, especially in the two week breaks, we're doing a lot of work, um, or recovering, as I call it. So my first week is recovering from the term that was, and then my. <laughs> Second week is mentally pre- and physically preparing for the week next term. Um, and then, yeah, that one-fifth who I guess has, I don't know, it's really sad, but, you know, they've become a bit... They don't, they don't get paid yeah, enough. Yeah, they, they've become they a bit bitter. Like, you know, there's a lot of... Even in my last couple of years, I've noticed how much education and the expectation of teachers have, um, have changed and just the admin, you're covering yourself 
so much like any conversation you have with parents you should be re you're recommended to keep a record of it you could get audited but schools are getting audited for you know things that's, and that's so full on. it's very full on yeah, it's really and stressful. again it's very frustrating but you know at the end of the day you've got to know it's it's for the benefit of our children so it's, it's really hard um again that payment thing but you know, well, we hear we hear on the news about teachers striking. What's that mainly about? You know, a lot of people think, oh, you already get holidays. Why do you need more money? And it's not necessarily about the money. It's about the money being equivalent to the work that you're doing. So, um, again, those admin admin has come up. There's teachers dropping out. Um, you know, out of uni, it says something like um, twenty. I think it's twenty to forty percent of first year students studying at teaching in university are dropping out within their first year because they go into schools and they see how much work it really is so it's that's um, ridiculous it's, I can't like it's a shame um first year at uni they'll be like this is too much work I'm yeah, not doing it yeah and there have been um so the union the teachers federation have called on a few strikes and you know you know a lot of people joke around oh it's a day off blah 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 but it's not you you're actually sacrificing your pay so you lose a day's pay which yeah, then wow. affects your holiday levy and all that stuff. So the teachers mm. who are striking aren't doing it for fun or for a day off class. Like it's actually for a purpose. And it was becoming very disheartening because nothing was changing. But last week it was announced that there is a pay rise. And yeah, oh, so wow. those in their first year and everyone else, uh, but that our main target or the main target of the Federation was just to bring in more teachers. So hopefully this will happen. And if you know anyone who's thinking about it, tell them to do it. I've always told you this, Miss B, that every time you come over and you talk to my kids, I look at you and I, I listen to you with my mouth open and I'll be like, how, how did you even do that? How did you even speak so clever like that and twist your words around? without being angry or just being calm. I mean, I, I can't, and I really encourage, I always thought to myself that I should have become a teacher before I was a mom because, I mean, I understand that mums are different, that our relationship is different with our kids. We see them all the time. Um, we're together all the time. It's more about love. Uh, but, I mean, watching a teacher <laughs> deal with the same situation as I do on another level is motivating and there's hope you know I think it's because we don't get we don't get certificates or education to, to be yes. parents you don't get training you've got <laughs> to learn on, the, on your feet you don't get training we, we always say you know parents should get a certificate there's so many parents out and there you guys, we always you guys joke about don't get there. a break like yes, you know, yeah, you get a two weeks yeah, and we, you know, we say goodbye. And there are those cases where you worry about a kid. Like I know, at the end of the year, there's, um, you know, I look at, um, I'm writing my reports or whatever. And there's this one child. I'm like, oh, his reading didn't improve, and you just, I don't know, I just, I get really disappointed in myself because I'm like, I should have read with him more. You know, like just like you guys, we have that. Um, teacher guilt sometimes well that's that's so good to know how much you care that's actually really good if all teachers cared like you that's that's amazing can you tell us exactly what type of schools there is in australia and why is it that some of the schools are charging way way too much than other schools yeah so i guess the three main are public independent which are private and then catholic system she's staring at me so awkwardly Marge. 
Okay, I won't <laughs> stare at you. But can you please just answer my question? Are we talking about educational experiences or the opportunities offered? Let's talk about both. Let's talk about, you know, what's the difference between educational experience and what's the difference with the opportunities offered by these two different types of schools? Are there any differences? Public school, it's, it's like the age-old debate, public school versus independent schools or private schools as they were used to be known. I don't know. Again, it's just so different depending which schools you go to. I do know that there's more opportunities for your kids in those schools and also you get what you pay for. Like they, they're not charging you for no reason. So this is a, another hard question, guys. thought it was going to be a relaxed I mean, when you asked me to do this, you said there'd be scones. I didn't know there'd be all of these serious <laughs> questions that take years to answer. Um, public versus independent education or private schools, whatever you want to call it. Look, at the end of the day, personally, I believe education should be free for all students and their families. And we're lucky that we live in a state where that is a possibility and, you know, a country where that's a possibility. But in terms of the expensive private schools, you know, again, what was their purpose? They, were, they weren't built for Joe Blow from down the road. They're built for the people who can afford it. Yeah. And, you know, I guess because uh, people you know, society is starting to wake up and say, you know, it should be equal for all students and et cetera. They have scholarships and things like that in place. Um, and, yes, they have better facilities. They've got better funding, not for comparing to all public schools, but generally if a private school, um, you know, if you compare your best private schools, they have a bus all to themselves, whereas in the public system, parents still have to pay for their child to go on that bus. Sometimes schools fund it, but again, it just depends on the situation. At the, I'll, I'll just want to state that it should be free for everyone. It should be equal, um, but I guess the reality of it that it isn't, and if you look at jobs as well, the same thing, like why isn't um, a nurse getting paid as much as a doctor does? Like they're in the same field. You know, so yeah. why, yeah. you know, and schools reflect that idea yeah, as well. True. Okay, I have another question for you, Miss B. Um, do you advocate for a standardized approach when it comes to teaching or more individualized? Because recently we're seeing more schools uh, taking on this individualized approach because not all kids learn the same way. And also, how, what do you think about gifted students? Do you believe kids should be repeating? I know repeating doesn't happen in Australia, yeah. but from where we came from studying I'm pretty sure um I'm not sure if it's if they stop put a stop to it but kids used to repeat if they failed the subject and how do you feel about skipping a year if there's a gifted kid do you think they should skip a year so um the repeating and skipping doesn't happen too often at all um if anything if um, in kindergarten if a child isn't coping either socially or academically the repeating would usually happen in kindergarten I think in my career once I've had a older child repeat um year five so um because he was struggling a little bit came from a different country again it just depends on the circumstances but you don't see it too often these days um and then in terms of standardizing approach to teaching I think it's uh, again that ship's kind of sailed because it's too hard to do that now and because of structures that schools have in place, like we have um, an Australia being so multicultural, we have 
EALD teachers where, where they support children who have just come from a new country so they support them um, into with learning English or um, English as an additional language or dialect teachers who again they support the kids and try and get them to catch up on English uh, they help the classroom teacher we have support teachers for kids who have you know who are a bit behind so they take a small group of kids out so um, and again you've got those things where just as a teacher I know that a third of my class learns by doing they they have they don't just get the maths problem once I show them on the board we do one together and there's all this teaching has changed and is changing so much every day so no that's what I'm seeing as well just my kids in k2 kindy 2 and they group kids based on their abilities and how they learn and they the two teachers in class kind of share the load and on uh, teaching mm. them whether if they're visual learners or non-visual learners in different ways yeah. and then when it comes to gifted kids how do you challenge them do you so if the, if if um skipping's not a possibility just like you would with a, a kid who needs extra support you know there's lessons where I may you know if we're doing a maths lesson say on addition I have maybe three or four different groups and I give the two groups independent work and then I work with each group a bit at a time and give and extend them on how they need it so the support kids get what they need the kids who are working at grade level are challenged with what they need and then the kids who need some extension I prepare work for them that will extend their I feel like I feel like I'm interviewing you for a job. <laughs> do I get the job? <laughs> I think you got the job. How do you feel about participation awards, like merit awards, encouragement awards? My question is because we used to encourage our girls all the time to work, to work towards getting one because that's the kind of program the school is running and we always say oh if you if you work hard you get one because they come and tell me that oh my friend got one or uh, I did this and I got one and we kind of like you know no don't not about it's not about encouraging it but we we're very happy for them and we say oh see like you work hard you get rewarded and sometimes I feel like they got one because there's no reason at all just like that because it's probably been a while I mean I don't really know how it works with the teachers and how often they give one out but I mean I don't want them to receive one if just for no reason I mean they really should understand that you work hard for something then you get rewarded that's how I teach them at home yeah like this something should be expected you shouldn't be doing it just to get an award like participating in class that's like even in parenthood yeah right like you know how you reward your kids there's something happened the other day and we didn't we were thinking whether we should reward them they're like no this should be this should be the norm you know they should do it regardless of an award you know and this is a question a lot of parents come to me with at um, parent interviews so I could you know go on about all the successes and goals that their child has and they say okay so where do they sit in the class like are they which number are they out of the 30 or and I just have to let them know that we don't really compare kids against each other in terms of grades. We compare them to the criteria that they're working towards. So, um, you know, again, we use the language like working at, working below or working above, and then we go from there. But um, but in terms of particip participation, technically every child should be participating anyway. Exactly. <laughs> um, and if they're not, you've got to change something as a teacher. Um, at one of the schools I've worked at, we used to give an award to every child at the end of the year, but it was individualized in terms of yeah, they were rewarded for a, a success that they'd had specific to them. So 
I had kids who were excelling, say, in music that year or whatever, reading, they reached their reading level goal or whatever, writing. You know, they would write one paragraph and they were writing three by the end, whatever. Now tell us what you think about reports, Miss B, and parent interviews. Don't move your hands a lot because I think it does affect the <laughs> microphone. This Go. is the only time you can boss me around. Okay. <laughs> Uh, parent-teacher interviews. Look, they can be very nerve-wracking, especially as a first-time teacher. I can I see around me oh, so like awkward. they get a bit nervous because you're in the room alone. Um, you can have a like I offer to my team if you want me in there for any um just for support. Like they know the teacher knows that kid better than I do. Can I just say I have never been to a parent-teacher's interview. I always send my hubby because I'm just terrified of facing that teacher <laughs> with whatever she's going to be talking about about my child and the guilt I would feel I'll probably start crying in front of her it's really um important that parent know parents know that it's not a judgmental that that's a parent teacher interview a lot of schools do call them three-way conferences where the kid is there because we're talking about the kid and at the end of the day um we're there to work as a team for the child but I know that one thing that I guess um I don't want to say it bugs me. One thing that frustrates me at parent-teacher interviews is when parents say, oh, um, yeah, what can we do to help them? And I look at the report because I always have it there and I say, oh, what do you mean? And they say, oh, in English, they only got three outstanding and two of them were working at. And I say that that's not a bad thing. So working at is like what we call a sound. So they're at grade level or stage level, depending um, how you're looking at it. But um, just a lot of parents, again, uh, I guess, and it's not a bad thing, but if your child is where, be where they should be, you don't need to necessarily always have outstanding. Not every child can be outstanding in every subject. So as long as that kid is doing their best, they're happy coming to school. So you're saying average is good. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. Next. Miss B. How many times, an honest answer, have you wondered whether you should change your career or Google what else you can do with your teaching degree? <laughs> Look, <laughs> I'm I'm the nerdy teacher, again, I think since the beginning of my career. I've loved, I do love my job. Um, I must say what in this. Every day. <laughs> <laughs> Every <laughs> afternoon. After this no. podcast, you will. Um, in the last hour, no. But. We believe you. No. We don't. As I say, oh, look, um, again, I guess my role has changed as a supervisor because you work with more kids and more people in different situations. Like for some kids, I'm the behavior reflection person. So I, and I always make the effort to go into classrooms of my other teachers and try and be the positive. Oh, what do we learn? You know, just try and show them. But often if there's, you know, bad choices being made, um, I have to deal with that too. But um, in terms of uh, Googling other jobs, um, just during the last maybe couple of 10 years, no, the last year because of the pressure added and the admin and stuff. What would you change? A what couple of times. Change? But pardon? What would you change? Oh, ooh, this is a big a question. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it, um, relating to what you're saying. Like would, that, you mentioned admin, for example. Yeah. So teachers aid, would that help? Like if teachers had their yes. own EA or Yeah, so aid? some countries have an aid in every classroom. I think that would help taking, even it could be, I'm not an expert in a, how to run a school, 
yet no I'm joking but you know like one thing one of our jobs is we have to, if kids are away we have to call and check in which the positive side of that is great because you build that relationship with parents but also when am I meant to do that like I'm running a debate club I um you know what else do I do right now I can't think of anything go to sit down to call a parent someone comes in with another problem like it's just if you know takes away the time you could yeah an extra office lady could even take that pressure away what subject do you hate teaching the most the ones one of the ones I dislike is um long division not because of the kids when the kids get it it's amazing for everyone but it's because they come (laughs) and they're like oh but my dad taught me this way or oh but my mum told me to do it this way and you have to just go back and say no no that's great that they've learned taught you that way. This is how we have to learn it in, you know, in, in, in Australia or whatever it may be, because often the parents are from another country. And again, it's a great strategy, but you know, our curriculum says we have to teach often. It's like the mental strategies. So, you know, a lot of the strategies we know are paper and pencil, like the long algorithm, you know, the mental. And you have to show the working, right? So they have to show the yeah. right words working. That's the only way we know if you're um how you're doing it. So yeah, you could get the answer right, but I could get the answer right with a calculator we want you to learn how to do it without those resources what's your favorite thing to teach um sport no I'm joking um <laughs> favorite topic um I like reading uh, and writing because they're kind of linked together but reading I love because I love analyzing what these awesome authors do and um you know the kids responses to different types of text so Um, you know, getting them to explain why do you think an author used these words to describe this character and then they, yeah, they really get into it. The kids gossip about families at schools to the teachers or what the kids talk about. One of the, we we asked this question on Instagram. We asked people to send us some questions they would like to ask to teachers. One of it was this one. What does my kid tell teachers at school? So the answer is yes. I mean, especially more so in like K to two or K to year three ish. As they get older, oh, they no. I think they've learned to filter. So, and this kind of goes back to um, openly talking about sexual education or whatever you want to call it. Uh, what, um, what have just you heard? A, a warning, a warning to parents like um, lock your doors. No, no. Um, news time. Or, you know, what's it called in some places when they come and show and tell? Show and tell. Um, Just, you know, just make sure you're double checking what the kid is bringing to show and tell because there's been a Uh few stories where, you know, they might bring things that aren't really toys but maybe mum's toys or dad's. No, you're kidding. You're kidding. Is this real? I don't know what it is. Are you serious? Oh, my God. Yeah, and we had a kid bring a mouse once. She was had it hiding in her tote tray the whole day. We didn't know until show and tell time. A mouse. Yeah. Oh my god! Is that a, was it a pet or yeah, a pet mouse? Oh my! Wait. And the parents didn't know. No. Oh my goodness! What is the weirdest thing you found in a lunchbox? Parents have really upped their games. Like we used to have Nutella sandwiches, but nowadays they've got um noodles and you know curries and these pretty pretty sandwiches you know I see your fancy stuff as well um cheese and crackers and most unfamiliar thing was during um last when was a couple of weeks ago there was this really funky smell coming from my classroom like when the kids had come in and I just thought oh maybe Uh it's the pins or something 
So I ignored it. And then it happened again a couple of days later. And I oh, said, no. and I could smell it and it was much stronger. And then one of the kids said, oh, miss, can you smell that? And I said, yeah, what is it? Is it it's not the bins. I thought it was the bins. And they said, oh, no, um, so-and-so is eating a durian lolly. Oh, my What's God. I don't know what that is. What's a durian lolly? It, it tastes great, apparently. I haven't had it yet. It's a, it, But it smells like fart. It's I'm getting so to have it. Bad. How it something smells taste great that smells bad? It smells so bad. And he knew that it was after recess, right? So he was eating it just for the smell and the reaction. So, and again, I'm, I, I'd like to think I'm quite culturally sensitive and I feel like that is common. Uh, it's a lolly from. So is it a bad thing? Like when he's saying lolly, is it a bad thing to eat? Like just like our lollies? It's it's like our lollies, but it smells really bad. You- well, it's actually bad. So durian is a Southeast Asia fruit. It's yes. banned in mm. MRT, in our train system, in the Yeah, station. and in Bali, they're not allowed. They have signs that say no durian allowed. So Exactly. We have that in Singapore as well. Next question for you. Tips on teachers their gifts what's what's the worst one you've received or the best one that you've received oh look we don't you know, we don't do it for the gifts we appreciate it when they come of course, of good course. answer <laughs> good answer i don't want to say the worst but a very common one which, you know maybe don't give that to a teacher would be a mug like <laughs> a mug i knew by my fourth year that i'm the world's greatest teacher because i had enough mugs to prove it candles body lotion they're they're very common a good one is I love earrings, so um, I get those special ones. And again, and I, think, I know you love your earrings, and I know I obviously your kids know that yeah. too. Yeah, they'll know you, so they'll know that. Yeah, it's very cute, and that's something. It's more than it's not even. It does not need to be anything. I don't want anything, but it's really cute when they they know that you love that, and they look, they wait for your reaction. Like it's really oh, cute. Oh, that's cute. If you had one thing to say to the parents, what would you say? What uh, I guess the most important thing is that parents know that we're a team. Like I would love to call parents for every positive, but that's just not realistic. Oh, and unfortunately, I have to make that call where it's like, oh, they're in trouble today. Or and as soon as a parent picks, and if I'm going to call for a question about you know camp or something, as soon as I call the parents, like I said, hi, it's blah blah from you know oh, your child's so teacher. And you can hear their voice, yes. And I said, everything's okay. Oh my god! Yes. I'm just calling to just double check if they're coming to camp or whatever. So um, don't forget. Also, we talked a lot about teachers and you know supervisors and things, but the office ladies um, also do shout a lot. out. Yeah, shout, shout out. out. They do the a lot, ladies. So it's really important to acknowledge them as well. Helps the school. Well, thanks, thanks, Miss B. Thanks, guys. This is amazing. This is so good. Finally, you're finished. Thanks for listening to this episode of Mum Girl. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram to keep up with us. Bye-bye.